Welcome to the Witch Game First interview with Dominic Crepouchet of North Star Games. Our own Evan Bernstein speaks to Dominic about his latest projects, the future of gaming, and a lot more, including words of wisdom, or is it warning, for starting and running your own game company. Joining us on Witch Game First, we have Dominic Crepouchet of North Star Games. Dominic, how are you? Yeah, nice to be here. Thanks, Evan, for inviting me. I appreciate it. And can you tell us about your capacity at North Star Games? Are you the founder or designer? Uh, yes to, to two of those questions. I'm the founder of North Star Games. I very early in the operation went to business school, found a business partner, Satish Pillalamari. The two of us have been running the company since 2004. And uh, I am also a game designer. I designed Wits and Wagers, which has uh, nearly sold 2 million copies now. Wow. And uh, Say Anything, which is at about 700,000. And then the Evolution series, which is over 200,000 units for the series. And those are, I think that's, that's basically what I'm known for, those three brands. I'm really glad you mentioned Evolution because Evolution Climate, among other North Star games, is one of the prominent games we played on our podcast. And frankly, we nominated it and it won an award, our, our own awards called the Firsty Awards. Um, so you can add that to the list of accolades ah. and awards for, the, for that game in particular. Best Educational Game of the Year 2018. So congratulations there. It was a real, real pleasure playing that game. It's uh, just so well thought out in terms of both its gameplay, but also the science, I think, that you learn hand in hand with that. Cool. Well, I... I did not know that. That's nice to know. Thank you for uh, for playing the game and for giving us the award. That's great to hear. Well, it was well-earned. We all enjoyed it very, very much. But I want to stay with Evolution for a moment because of your newest offering, a Kickstarter project that's occurring right as we speak. Can you tell us about that one? Yes, we are in the final few days now of an Ocean's Kickstarter campaign. It ends April 26th, I think, at around midnight. It is our best Kickstarter campaign by far. We're um, at 500 and something thousand right now. So we broke a half a million, which was a, a personal milestone that we were all hoping for. Great. And it looks like we'll get over 600, close to 700. Kind of depends how the last two days go here. But um, we're excited. It's, it's people have really taken an, a liking to this new product that we've put out. Because you wrote about it in your bio on the North Star Games website, <laughs> your experience at sea earlier in life, I can't Im I imagine that that had maybe <laughs> some kind of impact on, on this, off this particular offering. Someone else has mentioned this. I don't think mm. it had any impact. <laughs> Captaining a fishing boat in Alaska is kind of its own little insular deal and Oceans is more about marine ecosystems, and, and that mm -hmm. is about pushing yourself to your limit and trying not to die. <laughs> well, that certainly does make sense, but uh, you can't fault people for making some level of correlation maybe between <laughs> those two, say, chapters in your life when you were working at sea for quite a long time and now in the game design business. And, you know, here comes uh, a game with happens to take place within the ocean, within the confines of the ocean. <laughs> yeah. 
No, it makes a lot of sense. It's just, um, it's just not the inspiration. Mm-hmm. I mean, my love of nature and science is is more core to the experience of the board game. Um, but I have drawn up plans at times to work on a fishing game. It's just, it's tough because that world is so intense, and it's hard to figure out how to capture that. Well, I think if anyone can do it, you you could because I can't. I, I don't. Oh, thank I, you. I don't. Well, I just don't know of many people who have come from that particular background and are now, you know, have it among their skill sets and are now in the game design business. So we we find that fascinating. I mean, the backstories of you and other <laughs> game designers, and I know you've spoken before on other interviews and certainly at the TED Talk you did several years back about game designers specifically. And how they certainly need to be more recognized as the creative forces behind these games, but also the popularity and the commercial success for these games. Yeah, that that has had a huge impact on our industry. As soon as board game designers started getting recognized with the Spiel des Jahres, Mm -hmm. and it wasn't just a publisher, all of a sudden there was huge upside potential for the board game designers to build a brand and to get royalties. And uh, as soon as you have the potential to become a millionaire, you know, with a project, uh, a lot of talent is going to start pouring into that industry. And so that's been happening over the last 30 years. 30 years ago, I think there were basically very few full-time game designers, freelance game designers. I mean, I I don't know of any. And now there's got to be hundreds, maybe. So it's, it's really blown up. Yeah, it certainly has. And I know also when I was in high school, I started to look into the industry of game design, mostly through my uh, love of Dungeons and Dragons and other tabletop games such as that. And it, I kind of ran into certain dead ends in a sense and, and couldn't quite figure out how to make a career path at it. So I think I abandoned that. Uh, particular one and went on to other things. So I definitely know what you're speaking about and how things used to be compared to how they are today. It's just so, so different. You know, in your TED Talk, the other thing you mentioned about, and again, about things being different and how they've changed over the years, you you had talked about the digital revolution in a sense in which your games now are all located on our phones, our tablets, and our portable devices. We take them with us anywhere we go. And the you talked about the that rivaling the experience of actually sitting down at a table across from each other and playing those kinds of board games. Now, this is when in 2011 you spoke about this. Now it's 2019, mm-hmm. eight years later. Do you have any thoughts that might have evolved on that? Do you still feel the same way or do you feel that's pretty much still where we are and what you were talking about then still applies? Yeah, no, I feel the same. I think I did a poor job of expressing myself based on the YouTube comments. My belief is that as the experience rivals, the experience of playing face-to-face games in a room on a a surface, a digital surface, or on a television with phones perhaps connected to it, Mm -hmm. as that experience rivals playing with cardboard pieces, there's going to be a huge quick transformation in, in our industry just because of the economics of shipping and cutting down trees and making paper and making plastic molds. Absolutely. Shipping things like I still believe that transfer is going to happen back then. I was thinking it's going to happen sometime over the next 50 years. Um, 25 to 50 is what I was thinking. Mm -hmm. Since then, there's been a huge resurgence of cardboard games uh, with millennials. And so so there's a I don't want to say short term because I think it's going to be a pretty long term trend, but just of breaking away from digital devices and hanging out with friends playing games, which I love and is great. 
And, and I want to see that trend continue. So I think there's a little bit of a reticence to break away and play face-to-face games digitally um, because they're kind of trying to break away from digital objects. I mean, in the end, being able to carry all your games on your phone and being able to lay out a surface that, I don't know, unrolls onto a table and uh, being able to just pack it all like you pack your iPad along with your music and your email and your your YouTube videos and your movies. I mean, I, I just I don't see how that won't be the direction 50 years from now, you know, but how we get there and how long it takes. I don't know. It's anybody's guess, I guess. But at least to, for now, it's not to the detriment of the, can I say, classic tabletop board game players who do still like to, you know, get together with their friends on a Friday night and sit around that table, roll the dice, deal the cards or whatever, or go to a convention for a weekend to participate in tournaments and other things. I'm sure you've been a part of those experiences as well. So wait, I, w- I want to make sure that I'm not being misunderstood. I'm talking about going to conventions with friends, playing around a table, when a digital versions can produce that same experience as the cardboard produces. I see what you're saying. The virtual... Perhaps virtual reality experience, uh, t- which is, you know, coming in the future. We see that as being definitely a part of the integration of all sorts of games and things we can't even conceive yet. Possibly rollout surfaces. Possibly. I-, I have a hard time knowing exactly how. I just know the economics of the industries. Mm-hmm. And if you can create that same face-to-face experience less expensively and more conveniently and where you don't have to keep track of score and where you don't have to set up the game and you don't have to tear down the game. There's just going to be so many reasons why people will opt into experiencing face-to-face games digitally. Right. That that transformation already happened a long time ago. <laughs> definitely did. It definitely did, but we're not it's not a zero sum game in this certain in a certain context. There's room for growth in, well, apparently both industries, because I think we're seeing proof of that, as you said, with the classic cardboard box sort of having this resurgence, if you will, throughout the uh, the 2010s uh, years and to where we are now. And yeah. It's uh, certainly as popular as I think it's ever been as, uh, in my lifetime. Oh, ever. It's crazy. And it, I don't think it's going to stop. This type of industry is not one that can um, turn on a dime because you become vested in these games that you've learned the rules to and you're good at and you want your friends to play with you. And so it's it's been a slow growth, even though, I mean, it's been quite dramatic when you add slow growth for, for 30 plus years right. in a row. This is not the type of fad that can just disappear because people have huge bookshelves full of games yeah, and, <laughs> and whole social networks formed around, you know, this hobby. Yeah, no, I'm excited. It'll be here for my whole lifetime. And Definitely will. Well, we're going to wrap this up, Dominic, but I did want to ask one sort of parting question of you before we go. Yeah. As the owner of a game company, what sort of, is there one or two things that you could express to other people who are thinking of perhaps beginning their own company and following a similar sort of path that you and others have taken? So I am one of the owners. So we, we took out outside investment. Uh, my wife and I together own less than 50%. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know where, but I own closer to 30. <laughs> you have some words of wisdom. Wow. <laughs> Starting a company will take over your life. So I'm torn between right now a wife and kids and a company. And um, it's way bigger than me. I've made many mistakes. I, I would say 
don't start a company unless you are happy with it taking over your life. I mean, that's that's your life's mission. If what you really want to do is design games, I think there are lots of avenues now where I could kind of get more what I was looking for to begin with, which was I wanted to be a game designer. With Kickstarter and with building your own brand through Twitter and building up people to follow you personally as a game designer that they love and trust, and then then you can take that out to publishers, and that has a lot of value to publishers. So I would say my my words of wisdom mostly are along that line. Make sure you know whether you want to be a game designer or an entrepreneur, because they're two totally different things. And if you start a company, you're an entrepreneur, and you're going to have very little time to design games. And if you want to be a game designer, there's actually a lot of avenues now that never existed to where you could you can turn that into a real successful career. That sounds good. So basically define the role you're trying to pursue, the avenue you're trying to get in on, and go follow that path and collaborate with others who can be your counterparts. Yeah, I mean, I'm at the point now with the company that I'm I'm trying to pull away from running the company and trying to get other people on board with operations. Mm-hmm. And I'm trying to become a, a, the game designer that I really wanted to be from the start. Well, you certainly do have talent there, Dominic. So I don't know if you know this, but evolution is being used at the University of Oxford in the evolutionary biology department. That's tremendous. Yeah. So so although I inherited the science from a Russian biologist, you know, we've done everything we could to make the game first. We want it to be fun, but we want to pack in as much of the theme as possible. And and we get professors from universities and a lot of high school kids and even elementary school teachers writing us, I'd say, weekly talking about how they use our game in their classes. So so the award that you've given is right in line with what other people think, too. And it's, it's just fun. Oh, it is. There's no doubt about it that it could be and should be used as educational material. It's just that good. And the game plays that well. So when you when you hit those notes on multiple levels, crossing sort of certain bridges that are de- very otherwise very difficult to cross, it's quite an accomplishment. That's fun for me. It's fun. It kind of merges several passions of mine. And then the one thing I wanted to say about Oceans was to differentiate it from you, mm-hmm. you know, for you from evolution. So you you're familiar with evolution climate. Yes. We so we threw out that system out and kind of built the system up from scratch again. And one of the issues that people have with evolution and climate and that, that whole system, experienced players can play a very well-balanced tight tournament level game. But playing with experienced players and new players can sometimes provide a bad experience for the new player because your whole world can come apart when people kind of like when you leave yourself vulnerable, when you get attacked, it can be it can be devastating. And so a lot of people's first experience is negative because they're new to the game and and they get trounced and it feels overly punitive. So Oceans is really made for what I think is a more likely scenario now where there's players of various levels playing, various, you know, like skill levels playing at the same table. And just because someone is doing really well, like basically when you get attacked in oceans, it's not very punitive. It's not that big a deal. Your whole position won't crumble. You just lose a few points and you go on with your day. So I'd say that that was kind of one of the important goals that we had, which really sets this apart from the whole the evolution experience. It's really its own experience. We're so looking forward to it. Dominic from North Star Games, thank you so much for being with us on Which Game First. Cool. Thank you, Evan. Appreciate it. 